I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's off the beat changing scheduling episode of the imaginary movie podcast a podcast where this week we played a video game five years ago and now we're talking about it my name's david (laughs) and i'm ross and this week we're going to be talking a little bit about um fallout 4 2015's video game um and the general discussion is going to be why fallout 4 is a good game but a bad sequel uh, yes. which we'll get into in a minute. So, right up front, if you have not played this game and you care about spoilers, turn this off. What are you doing? Um, yeah, what are you then... doing? The game came out five years ago. Play that thing. What are you do? <laughs> Get your priorities right. You're listening to a podcast where two guys with nothing better to do talk about games they like, and you haven't played this game. Honestly. Wonderful. Now you've berated all of our potential imaginary listeners, Ross. I think we can really move on. Yeah. So the reason we're doing a video game episode this week is partly because we wanted to do one for a while, and partly because Sam is a piece of shit. Uh, seconded, yes, apparently. Who is incapable of scheduling his own life, seemingly. Yeah, apparently putting a post-it note with your weekend plans on a fridge or something is too difficult. But, you know... You know, some people are dedicated to this podcast, you know, like Dave and myself, and some aren't. You know, some I'm not going to name how... names, but there's only three of us. <laughs> there are only three of us, yeah. Um, so, uh, we will be saving our film of the week until next week, which is exciting for everyone. So, now we've uh, now we've dragged Sam's good name through the mud. Yes. Um, let's get into the sort of the moneymaker here, Ross. Um, we are talking about Fallout 4, a series which we both love. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a game series that you know that is that is both near and dear to our hearts, and it's sort of how our uh, friendship sort of flourished in the beginning. Um, when when me and you got to know each other, like one of the first things that we sort of bonded over was Fallout Three. Absolutely, which was all the way back in that game came out in what two thousand and eight. Don't say the year. Don't say the year. <laughs> yeah, two thousand and eight. In case you've missed it, imaginary audience, we are old. We have aged. Time has passed. We were grown men when we played this the game that came out two games before this one um so yeah we played fallout 3 a lot when we when we when we first met each other and like you said it's uh which is funny for a single player game like you can sort of play a game a single player game together but the fallout series i think is perfect for something like that yeah absolutely um and and that's the sort of focus of this podcast to show the how far well first of all how far along the series has come uh, in terms of progression and you know improvements but also how you know sometimes you know the the prequels did it better absolutely so um just before we go any further let's just talk about the series as a whole a bit more so i played fallout 3 first and i have since gone back and played the first two games as well i don't know if you have no, that was that was uh, too much to bear. I'm afraid it's one of those things where when you play a game, uh, you know, when you love it, but then you go back and play the older one, you're like, "What is this?" It's like you know, if you think, play a fighting game, similar sort of thing. Yeah, like, I think the big difference is that the Fallout One and Two are like top-down turn-based games from yeah. like the I think late '90s or the early aughts. I can't remember the actual years. Um, so Fallout Three is like a first-person sort of um, shooter RPG. 
was kind of like a reboot of the series and it was like a, i think quite a big risk for bethesda yeah it, it turned it around big time um usually people don't play these sorts of games uh, and i think it's because it was it was such a, a niche sort of game that they were able to sort of push the boat out and have the games uh, sort of resonate so closely with you know the, the sort of franchise's uh, sense of humor and tone um and sort of encapsulates that uh, that the the oh, what's the word you know where, where they're sort of taking the taking the mick out of like you know big corporations you know because with the with the fallout boy the logo and satire the satirizing thank you god i couldn't satirizing think of that. big corporations are satirizing the cold mm-hmm. war and the threat of nuclear apocalypse. I mean, the the story. I mean, again, spoilers for the Fallout series. I mean, what are you t- still doing listening to this? But seriously, play Fallout. the game. <laughs> All of them, and the, the whole series is kind of like based on this idea that that in an alternate version of the future where nuclear power works a bit differently, um, you know, the Cold War happens and the US is bombed to shit, and the games take place in like the the post apocalyptic wasteland where society humans have survived and kind of rebuilt and 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 it usually sort of um revolves around somebody emerging from like a sealed vault out into the above ground area and they sort of they're then exploring and seeing how like societies have reformed and you know killing mutants and stuff is also a big part of it but yeah, yeah. it's this whole I mean, like this is a very anti-capitalist series i think in quite a subtle way yeah which is quite ironic considering like you know how massive bethesda are but what you mentioned Dave, about uh, how you know the, the the player's character sort of emerges from these vaults, so they're experiencing uh, this new world that's been resettled for the first time, and their their sort of you, your reaction is mirrored in their reaction, and it's a great way to sort of frame that to the player as well. Um, it because... is a it's a wonderfully clever like framing device, like you said, Ross, and I think all the best mm-hmm. RPGs do that. They have you. Oh, you've woken up from a coma. You don't remember anything. Oh, you've emerged from this vault and you don't know anything. Oh, you've been yeah. in prison for years and you've missed all of this and like and that 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 then makes it more organic for other for NPCs, non-playable characters, mm-hmm. to to like basically sit down and give you exposition about the world because yeah. they're explaining it to the character, not to you, the player. So, uh, in the absence of Sam, Dave, uh, do you want to sort of give a rough? Uh, overarching view of the narrative of Fallout 4, like you know what the player's sort of motivation is, what they have to do. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so it's a good shout, Ross. So in Fallout 4, um, if for a f- first time in the series, we 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 play the playable character, uh, the protagonist, as we'll refer to him from now on, or her, um, is a pre-war person. Um, who goes into a vault and gets cryogenically frozen with his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wakes up, sees his or her partner murdered and the baby kidnapped. And they wake up an indeterminate amount of time later and they have to... And the whole stab of the game is like trying to find the son, your son. You were traversing um, the, the, the city of uh, exactly, Boston. Exactly, the, yeah. the wasteland after the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so therefore you're like you know used to the area but not from the apocalypse you get to explore all of that and then kind of the game wants you to help out the settlements as well and kind of try and stabilize and do some good or potentially not um and the whole but the whole stab of the game is kind of like a you've got to find your son it's it's very much like Liam Neeson in Taken yeah which is ironic because that was the it was the sort of the the reverse concept and followed three so in which you're, Liam you're, Neeson voiced well, is father, your dad I believe. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's your dad <laughs> they've taken my son <laughs> Yeah. I don't no, know who taken, you are. They've taken my Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah exactly um so i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in here and and say, like list a couple of good things about the game because on the whole like you've said in the sort of uh at the beginning of the episode dave it's a it's a fantastic game like um, uh, it's a good game it's a fun game mm-hmm. it's a worthwhile game i think i think it's value for money it you know it can keep you sort of engaged for you know a, a, you know a, well, a most consider- recently russ i played this on xbox game pass for zero pounds and zero pence so yeah definitely value for money <laughs> well i was referring to when when it first came out i would still consider value for money you know like most games nowadays you know you'd maybe get you know 10 to 15 hours you know most you know and you can still sink 40 plus hours into a game like this which i think is good um, oh, I mean, the sky's the limit. I mean, that's that's the something we should mention about the series as, as a whole as well. Like Fallout Three was followed by Fallout New Vegas, which is is not a numbered main game in the series, but is is the same the same size as the main game in the series. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a side project set in the Nevada desert, and both of those games are very similar. To that like you can rush through them, do the main storyline in about twenty five thirty hours. But if you want to dig and you want to explore and you want to get do everything yeah. and get everything and, to, and do all the quests, it's probably you know get on for a hundred hours worth of gameplay. Absolutely, and w- just one thing as well: you never want to rush it. That's the thing you you enjoy every moment, and there's so much to explore and so many, like you, you've mentioned, Dave, side missions. And this this is the case for all games, like Fallout Four included. There's so many sort of side quests to do, all within the sort of self-contained narrative. So you're getting sort of bite-sized little stories to tide you over whilst you're going from point a to point b uh, in the next task for your for your main story objective um, yeah you can just explore and like you said you can just come across quirky characters and do fun little side missions for them yeah exactly and so it's kind of been a staple of the fallout series since since the first one i should say mm-hmm. i know you haven't played them but that's kind of like the idea is there you get given one central quest and you can you can fuck that off completely and just go and like exactly explore and which is brilliant cool yeah armor. Um, but that so that was actually going to be one of the other things I was going to list uh, afterwards, which is the sheer volume of content, um, which is again, which is one of the things why I said value for money. The one thing I was going to say first, though, and this is unique to Fallout Four, is that it's the first time where it shows you the the sort of the world of Fallout pre-war. So you see all these, you know, the advancements in technology, like, and they're very true to the how the adverts in the sixties and the seventies saw, the, you know, the future of America, where you yes, have like self, it's very sort of like poppy and very sort of like yeah, future retro, you know, self, like a self-cleaning, uh, you know, rug or you know, a, a vacuum cleaner that does itself, but these big bulky designs, because obviously no one could ever imagine that the technology would would shrink rather than increase. Um, exactly, yeah, and it, you're right; it was really cool, and it's interesting from a design point of view for the game, mm-hmm. in that. They've kind of like the games have always been designed as these these wrecks of all of this stuff, and to then have to sort of reverse engineer that and take right. So we've got these like rusty robots and yeah, wreck bring it to life. And because they, even in Fallout Three and and New Vegas, there's very very little of it that's intact. You occasionally get like a room or a house or a bunker that's like mm-hmm. pre-war, so to speak. And but but it's you know one or two in each game. So exactly, kind of and like even then it's limited, like you say. Neighborhood, yeah, and be like, "Wow, it's so clean and ordered," and I'm about to see it get blown up. And that's the, and exactly, and then the previous games, that's the only thing that would stand out to you because you would just notice, you know, the lack of dust or the lack of grime, and that's how you knew that this room had been preserved. Whereas in Fallout Four, it was a, you know, they brought, you know, the sort of the ruins to life, and you saw, you know, a full. Uh, 
uh, sort of cul-de-sac of people and cars and and the Which robots is, it's that no mean your... feat really for something so simple i think the introduction to this game is one of the strongest aspects of it it's very well thought out yeah so that yeah. that was that was one of the things for me big thumbs up massive uh, plus and sort of really well thought out like i say um the other thing i was going to go on to then <clears throat> excuse me uh, like i mentioned the the sort of the plethora of uh, in-game content but also the level of customization in the game now, this there's a number of facets in this, uh, which I'll list off. Um, number one is the base building, which we'll, we'll touch on as a, a separate topic, um, but also uh, the, the customization of your character. Now, not just in terms of how you can you know, decide what your face is or your facial features, body type, gender, things like that. That's, uh, that's pretty much a staple of the Fallout games, but they stepped it up with Fallout 4 in terms of customization of your character's weapons and armor. Um, now, usually, I think in Fallout 3, you might be able to like attach a scope, or in New Vegas, you might be able to attach a scope or a silence or yeah, things like that. Yeah, I was like going to say, Fallout 3 is very stripped down. I don't think you can do anything weapons are. You just pick them up and use them, I think. Yeah. Uh, New Vegas, you could maybe attach a silencer or, like I say, a scope, whereas uh, Fallout 4... It, almost, uh, you know, every part, so like the barrel, the the stock, the rail on the top, the magazine, all of these things are available to customize, change, and sort of uh, make it suit, you know, what how the player uh, feels. And just to sort of nail home how big a deal that is, there are, I think, hundreds of weapons in the game from uh, traditional munitions, so like shotguns, handguns, uh, machine guns, miniguns, to then like futuristic weapons such as uh, laser weapons, pistols, rifles, plasma weapons, rifles, grenades, and then, and then melee weapons. And then you can also get tire irons and baseball bats. <laughs> yeah, so the melee weapons range from, like Dave pointed out, tire irons, baseball bats, you know, broken stick, all the way up to things such as like a, a super sledge which is essentially a sledgehammer with rocket thrusters on one end. Yeah. So, um, and like all, like you said, all of this, mo- the vast majority of this, all is very customi- customizable, which is kind of nice. And um, what I say is, should add is a good point is that like none of this, if you don't want to bother with any of that, that's fine. You don't have the, to. You don't. You don't have to. The game does not make it so that you need to do this to progress. It's just a thing that you can do if you want to, which is, I think is really important for something like that. And it means that the single player campaign isn't tedious. Yeah, you raise a really good point there because it, the fact that it is something you can dabble in if you want because at the start, when you first access this uh, option, it's incredibly daunting because the information smacks you right in the face and because you're just starting out, you're not necessarily sure what's good, bad, but as you go along, you'll actually pick up weapons with some attachments so naturally as you progress, you can... Uh, you organically learn, you know, the benefits of each of these customizations, and then you can apply what you learn to. If you've got a particular favorite weapon, and you think, oh, that's you know that uh, magazine uh, customization was really good, I'm going to put that on, you know, my favorite shotgun, so to speak. So, um, yeah, it was really well designed in that you can take it or leave it. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Um, I would say another good point. <laughs> And I'm certain this will be in the bad point as well. I think this looks pretty good in comparison to the older games. Yeah. Um, we'll get into it more when we talk about the bad, but this is, I think, built on the same engine as Fallout 3. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't look as good as it could, but I think this is like a, you know, visually I think this is a more impressive game. That was going to be one of the things I uh, 
was going to touch on as well in terms of visuals in that the, the visuals have improved but they hadn't really improved enough for a, a next <laughs> think, gen at the time i think yeah. that's why it's going to be in the in the good in the good conversation and in the bad conversation because yeah. i think this game looks fine it looks good but it doesn't look excellent which i think is a good thing because i think my playstation would have literally melted through the floor yeah mine would have took off through the ceiling <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> So I think you know it's it's kind of a bit a bit of you know three three of one and six of another really, uh, so bah fucking hell fifteen fifty eight. So yeah, we'll just make another. But yeah, I mean, um, like we said, the visuals, um, yeah, there are good connotations, bad connotations. Some of the things come back to in terms of again the customization really helps the visuals in that you can really create the character you want. So one of the other facets of customization I was going to talk about was uh, like I mentioned earlier, and this will again come into both the good and the bad category is the base building. So uh, the base building is something really new to follow uh, for, in that you can create your very own settlement now. You could it's sort... an example of Fallout 4 following the trends in gaming generally, I think. Yeah, see, it is, and it, it could have been something really fun if they Ooh, just watch dialed it, up... audience. Ross is about to come the industry professional on me. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Not yet. So it, it, it could have been... Yeah, it is following a trend, and obviously that trend at the time is Fortnite, you know, building, you know, the things, structures that you can interact with. <laughs> But a lot of that is fun because in in games like Fallout 3 or Fallout New Vegas, you could have your own sort of, you know, quote unquote house that you're given and you can then assemble all your little uh, uh, bits and pieces inside. You know, you can mount a weapon on the wall or lay out a series of decorations on a table, things like that to make this your home, essentially, and to put yeah, your stamp on which it. Which is kind of a Bethesda staple from the Elder Scrolls series as well. Yes, absolutely. It's something the players always want to do. Yeah, it's it's something they always want to do because you know when once you well you know in Elder Scrolls once you return back to Winterhome, you know and you've got sixty kilograms of dragon bones, you need to be able to put that somewhere. Um, You need to be able to fill your house with so many wheels of cheese that it bugs the graphics out and crashes the game every time you go in it. And don't forget heads of cabbage. Heads of cabbage, of course. Um, game item. But the way uh, Fallout 4 brought this forward is not only do you create, you know, can you customize your own home, but you can customize your own sort of small village. Now, this was great in terms of uh, for display and showing off everything you've collected. So one of the mainstays of Fallout is the mega pieces of armor you can uh, pick up called um, power armor. And they've really up- upgraded these in Fallout 4, where you had to have like massive rigs to be able to equip these pieces of armor. So you could build like an incredible. They turned, they turned heavy armor into a mech suit, is what they did. Yeah, essentially. So it's a vehicle which... in which it's a vehicle into which you get, as opposed to a piece of armor that you can wear, which I yeah, think is good. Yeah. I think Instead it's a, a piece good of apparel. Move forwards. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so what uh, the only thing I was going to say is so like uh, and throughout the game there's like load there's uh, a plethora of different designs and quirks of these power armors that you can find. Gotta so be- loot them all, Ross. Yeah, exactly. And so being able to display those in like a sort of like a massive multi-story sort of mechs, you know, cargo container was a great sort of thing, a piece of freedom for the player. Plus, you could put things out where you can craft weapons or armor or, you know, um, 
you know, uh, you know, cook and 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 just things like that. You can basically like build your own sort of like crafting stations and and shops and all sorts. Yeah. And you, like you said, Rossi, it's the idea behind it, and I don't think it maybe fully achieves what it aims for. But the idea behind it is that you are building settlements, so you're yes. building places where NPCs will populate and live in and trade and and, that's... and fight off raiders, and and that's kind of like what they're aiming for. And I don't think it ever really gets there, but they do a decent job. No, and there's two negative facets on that, and and one of them is that uh, one of them I'll touch on later because it's one of the points uh, that I've written down. But the, the 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 other negative point of that base building is that because you have to build it for other people, you then have to make them happy. And forgive me, I don't give a shit about them. I give them a safe place. All right, if they want to be happy, contribute. You know. Stop relying on me. I've got to do stuff. I'm traveling yeah, across Boston yeah. for my son. You know, take your finger out of your arse and you know and do something. Do something for yourself. Yeah, dig yeah. a well, you lady fuck. Yeah, it uh, really. Yeah, no, that. I agree. I agree completely. Um, let me think. Other things we like. I quite like the central storyline of this. Now, I'm not going to talk about New Vegas for a second because I think that's a separate conversation. But in Fallout Three. It, one of the real strengths of the game aside from all the fun stuff is is how cohesive and how effective the sort of central storyline is like it's about like i said laziness here uh, it's about you finding your dad and this game is about you finding your son but it's about you finding your dad and so there's quite an emotional weight to the whole of the main plot line in fallout 3 and spoilers for fallout 3 which came out about 13 years ago um you know you die at the end <laughs> You know, without but pre DLC, you you die at the end. Um, mm-hmm. So like the game ends there, like you, you know, which is really really cool. And and this game is kind of similar in that it has a really cohesive and like narrative driven main main storyline, um, which I guess we'll talk about because we've already blown the spoiler horn. So anyone listening to this has already bloody played yeah, the game. I actually I would actually disagree uh, that the story is that strong. I. Um, well, there's a caveat here, Ross. I don't think it's as good as Fallout Three. No, and I true. think, and I think that there are potentially issues with it. However, I think that from purely an action RPG point of view, I think this main storyline has it all. It's fun. There is there are a variety of missions. It's long, but not overly long. It's showy. It's really, really showy. Mm-hmm. And there's time travel in it, and it's confusing as balls. It which is. I always confu- enjoy. Yeah, which I do enjoy that myself. However, hear me out. I think you're right. It's not as good as uh, as three story. It's also, uh, you know, it, when you said it's got it all, it does have it all, but it's lacking in certain places. And for me, where it's lacking is throughout the game, the the story. You have to make a, a you know, a choice uh, about which faction you're going to side with, essentially, to achieve your end goal. Um, and it's basically saying if you, you know, because at some point, you know, you're you're given some piece of information that sort of suggests that we can we can say spoilers, Ross. Like yeah. the, the factions you can join are the Brotherhood of Steel, which are they're the big like guys in mech suits that come and shoot things because they like it. Yeah, that we know from the previous games. And you've got uh, MIT, the Institute of Technology. They live underground and they experiment on people, and they're pretty evil and nasty by all accounts. Yeah, who is led by apparently a person who is your son. Who is twenty years older than you? 
who's 20 yeah uh, <laughs> so yeah there's a there is a rational explanation behind that folks but we're, we're not going to get again, into that again if you haven't played this game what the fuck are you doing number yeah, one why are you how, still did, here? You, how did are, you find this podcast we are 20 minutes into this episode and you have yet to buy Fallout <laughs> Bethesda won't pay us unless we sell unless we sell enough copies of this game that came out five years ago. Well, I want to make sure we get our endorsement check from Bethesda. That's all I'm saying. Exactly, Ross, and I appreciate that. Bethesda, um, give me free stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, what I was going to say is that so, uh, but there are sort of strong suggestions that the uh, person who is sort of claiming to be your son is actually a synth, which is a, you know a synthetic uh, human or an android. Um, yeah, and and what annoys me is that because usually, so like a Fallout Three or Fallout New Vegas, if you wanted to explore all avenues of you know to, to leave nothing uh, to chance in the back of your mind, you could you know create a save file, do option A, and then go back, do option B, go back, do option C, and you know and do, and sort of stick with what you liked best. However, there's no discernible uh, difference between which faction you go with, other than which which NPCs you no longer interact with. I and agree that, with you. For I agree me, with was you. a bit kind of a disappointment. Um, it's it's a weakness of quite a lot of these Fallout games is that there's kind of, kind of two games. The first is the, the narrative driven storyline, but as established by the earlier games and by Fallout Three, once you finish that, that's it. Game over. You know, mm-hmm. go back to an earlier save because that's it. And yeah, and so. It separates that quite severely from like what's the word I'm looking for from that post game like in other games like Elder Scrolls sometimes you're just like well you've unlocked everywhere now and you can go and explore to your heart's content and mm-hmm. you know and, and but, but villagers will say oh it's the hero of such and such and in but in Fallout it's like nope that's it you your actions have been too volatile it's changed too much so there is get the game fuck out of here yeah. exactly you yeah. have to go back to and some games are like this I think some of the mass effect games as well are similar that like you know you get to the end and then it's like you can keep playing but basically the game will pretend that you haven't finished it because yeah and know, that's fine your actions are too cataclysmic which i think is really cool from an impactful storytelling point of view well it's also it gives it indicates to the player that you know once you go past here it's sort of like you've completed the game so if there's other stuff you want to explore you know, why don't you go off and do that first? Which is good, but again, you know, bringing it back to the point we were talking about about the story, isn't that it doesn't let you know because I uh, the only other way for you to explore, you know, what happens, you know, to sorry, to, the only thing that explains what happens between option, you know, faction A, B, and C, the apart from creating uh, opposite, uh, you know, apart from creating alternate game save files. You would have to play, you know, start the game and play all over again, and select, you know, those different options, which is yeah. minimum thirty plus hours of content. So for that, you'd want a better payoff than the other two groups of people you no longer see. They or, lose, you know, yeah, and yeah. it's That's you are right. It's a bit anticlimactic in favour of, I think, some quite big showy explosive battles that for kind of payoff, like, yeah, for them to take place. And obviously, because the bulk of you know the bulk of the design work has gone into them. Because mm-hmm. especially with the engine they're using, it's really really taxing to have lots of explosions going on and lots of NPCs running around. Of course. So they they you know they they design those battles to be largely the same regardless, which like I said I think directly leads to it feeling like your choice doesn't really matter, and which I think is problem. a step in the wrong direction for a Fallout game. Yeah, yeah. But so on the whole, story is really good. It's just and near the end it lets itself down. 
Absolutely, um, but like that's what what we said. The, the 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 core of this is this is a good game, but this is not a great game. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, Fallout Three, I think we both agree, is a great game. Oh, so good. Listener, have you bought Fallout Three yet? Get yourself a PS3. New Vegas, actually. Oh, Give get City yeah. a shout out. Oh, get Fallout Three first. Stuff. Anyway, this is a Fallout Four podcast. One of the, I tell you what, one of the strongest points about Fallout Four, uh, your companions. Um, which, um, oh, you're going to disagree with me. I'm going to. Say, I'm not. What I'm going to say, Ross, is that while the companions in this are very good, the companions in Fallout New Vegas are better. Okay, I mean, like you know, you know, sh- shout out to my, Come to my at guy me Boone. And Boone. We'll yeah. have you. Shout out to my guy Boone. Absolutely, he's kick ass. And Raul. I don't remember Raul. Raul the ghoul. Oh Where's yeah. The um. So, but but the characters in this number one, the the sheer vaulted a number of uh, companions you can have. Um, not all at once, but you know throughout the game is brilliant. And each of them, and this lends itself well to the narrative as well. Uh, and even like the uh, in terms of like I suppose we'll come under customization, but you can have I think two companions with you at a time, and those companions will actually influence some conversations you have along your yeah. travels with other NPCs which if I do you think... think you're right Ross I think the companions in this are pretty good mm-hmm. there's some st- standouts there's some real standouts there's um, is it Eddie Valiant that's not right that's the detective from Who Framed Roger Rabbit uh, the detective Valentine yeah the synth de- Val- uh, Vic with Valentine, his head blown away Nick Valentine yeah there was some real he was awesome there was some real Blade Runner there was some real Blade Runner vibes in this in this in this game and I think there were some really cool references and like all the all the Nick Valentine stuff is dripping in like sort of like noir detective stuff which Mm -hmm. I think is great well he had the trench coat he had the trilby you know he had the voice and everything yes He and he like you know when and when you get to one of the main cities in uh, Boston, Diamond City, you know he's got his own sort of like PI shop. So yeah, he's got a PI firm. Yeah, may as well so, be set in DLA in the forties. Honestly, great. <laughs> so and uh, like he's a prime example of like excellent sort of side characters, and they even then sort of as you spend more time with them, they sort of open up to you more, and you know each of them have a specific uh, sort of you know their own specific uh, set of goals. And as you spend more time with them, they open up to you more, and then they're like, "Oh, I could use your help on this," and then you help them complete their quest. Yeah. Which, from a from a game design point of view, like, and this is something they took from Fallout New Vegas, every companion has a companion quest. Yeah. Which they'll only give to you when they like you, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and your actions will once you've determine... done it, you'll unlock a you'll unlock a you know usually like a bonus buff. or something. Yeah, a buff. Yeah. But that's the thing as well, like to get them to like you. Like some people will will look kindly on some actions and not others. So, for example, if you go around like just killing NPCs willy nilly, Nick Valentine doesn't fly with that. They'll still sort of accompany you, but you know you're not you're not going to get the sort of the extra benefit from him. Whereas there's people but who don't worry. If you want to go around murdering people, there's a super mutant who'll follow you around, and he loves that. He does love that. God bless his heart. Um, so, but but yeah, I mean, like, and I think that that sort of uh, it contributes to the to the story element, um, but also as a, it's a really strong game mechanic, purely on how how much thought has gone into the, each character's individual backstory, and don't forget, then you have to make locations that suit what you have to do to achieve to yeah. you know to get these across. Well, it's what I touched on earlier, Ross. That the, the, the aspects of the Fallout games that work the best are always the narrative-driven ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, you and know, the little side quests. Be because the co- 
it used to be because the consoles weren't capable of like you know making i guess a game graphically good enough to be a real do you know what i mean because it's yeah. an action rpg it can't do enough to be really fun and responsive to play because of the way that because of the engine it's using so mm-hmm. in order to shine it's got to be really well written so that, so that you want to have quite long conversations with people mm-hmm. and like you know figure out the, the dialogue options and figure out you know how to do it that way and and this game does that maybe not as well as some of the earlier iterations of fallout but pretty well yeah um so on the whole like the the sort of companions uh, game mechanic they really stepped it up um and yeah the, the sort of the level of effort is really sort of it's easily sort of absorbed and appreciated so yeah i was a big fan of the companions and it's a sort of a fun sort of uh, mechanic once you're looking to complete everything there is to complete the sort of the next thing then for the the player is to you know to meet all the companions there are to meet and that's it's sort of like to sit your curiosity to um so yeah there's there's a number of facets that make that particular mechanic really enjoyable yeah and there isn't really i don't think there's i don't think there's anything bad to say about that mechanic no well other than Uh, when you're trying to go through a doorway and they're crouched in front of you and they're like, "Hey, I what's think up? that's just shade." Get shade the fuck out of my way! <laughs> I think that's just shade. We can sling it at Bethesda generally. Um, yeah. Uh, so we've done half an hour on so called good aspects of Fallout. Do you have anything else on your list of, of, of good things that you want to give a mention to, Ross? And then we'll we've actually to... touched on everything. Um, so you know, like uh, framing of the pre-world, the customization, the uh, the characters, the volume of content. Uh, I think it's value for money. You're not so certain. Um, although you <laughs> no, paid... I think it is. I think it is. I did buy this on release, and I think I even bought the steel book. That is that still a thing? Are people still buying yep. steel books? Yep. All right. Um, uh, so yeah, honestly, we could do another podcast on bullshit like that. But let's, I'm sure let's we will. Past I'm sure we will. Put a pin in that. Um, so <laughs> yeah. things things we didn't like. I think this is probably going to be a larger conversation. Let's try not to go too negative while at the same time being quite horribly negative. Okay. So, uh, I mean, we touched on the base building already. The, 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 you know, the game tries to make me care about things that I don't care about. And that's just I annoying. have a point on this, Ross. Can I just bring up my biggest thing? And then that's kind of like my biggest point I want to make. Is it about base building or just in general? No, no. It's, it's something else. But I want to mention it before you mention it. Uh, okay. So, one thing I hate in games, and I well, I welcome your disagreement when I finish this rant. One thing I really, really hate in games is protagonists with a voice. Get that. Don't. I'm not done. Get that the fuck out of here. I can't stand it. It was terrible in Dragon Age. It's terrible in this. What I want is a blank slate I can project myself onto. I want to choose a dialogue option and not have my protagonist say something completely different and tonally completely different to what I've selected. I want you to shut the fuck up. I want to be able to read what I'm going to say, say it, and then someone react to it. Like I'm having a conversation, not like I'm having this weird four-dimensional conversation where I pick a sentence. Somebody, who may or may not be me, says something sort of like what I selected, but not really, in a smarmy voice. Anyway, go. I have no notes. I am in one. <laughs> I am in one hundred percent agreement. It really pissed me off, and th- that's one of the weaknesses, as well, about the uh, you know how they promoted Fallout uh, Four, rather. Um, is that when it was coming out, they're like, oh, you know, one of the things they promoted was that you're, you know, they've entered like over, you know, like two or three thousand names into it. So like when people talk to you, they mention you by name if you put in your name, which sounds cool on paper. 
but then we come back to like you just said Dave when your protagonist then is voiced and you're like well what's the point of them putting my name on it if it's not going to be my voice now and I'm not necessarily demanding that my voice you know they <laughs> they get me into a recording studio you know they they book my time well, I, I would uh, demand pay, that if hang, I hang on, hang on. Pay, pay me for my time and then somehow erase my memory so nothing is spoiled for me when I play the game <laughs> I think that's too much to ask of Bethesda. So I am in 100% agreement is that it's really hard to, because it's an RPG game, hence RPG meaning role-playing game, you are playing that role, it's really hard for you to project yourself into this character. So if you want to be, you know, excuse my French here, if you want to, I'm not, no, actually I'm not going to say it, but if you want to be like an asshole, you know, and you want to you you want to play that you know that heel you know that bad guy. You want to enjoy it. So, and again, you impose your tone on the dialogue exactly. options. You project, and but I think now I'm going to compare this to the Mass Effect series in a minute. So, so get ready for that. But I think this follows. I've got a, a counterpoint for that though. I think, but yeah, go ahead. But I think Bethesda were going through something very specific here, where they wanted the protagonist character because I think. We haven't mentioned, but you can either play the mother or the father of this son. Are those are sort yes. of like the male and female characters, which I think is quite an elegant way of doing it. Yeah, it's but, another good way to frame it. Yes, it is. Um, and but I think that it's trying to sort of like go to it's, it's taken half a step towards having this be a story about you know, let's to use Mass Effect as an example, this being a story about Shepard, and mm-hmm. and and they kind of do it, but they don't commit to it. They don't give this character a. Do you know what I mean? This character doesn't have a name and much or much of a backstory, so he's kind of part, mostly a blank slate, but with an annoying voice. Whereas the Mass Effect series, which isn't wholly similar to this, but that's much more like that's about this character who's a hero of the world and very well known, and and you can project somewhat onto them, but they, they will still be Commander Shepard. And that's kind of the narrative throughout all of those games. I would and... touch on that further because, like you do say, yes, the, you know, the character is named, um, and and absolutely, you know, so like you know, it's Arya, sort of an established character in that world. But they again, uh, EA, and I don't have many good things to say about EA, but or rather, <laughs> I tell you, what, Bioware did well, it like, quite... send us free stuff, EA. Yeah, yeah, EA send me money. Um, so, but Bioware actually did it really well, so that within sort of Mass Effect One. You know, you sort of uh, project yourself onto that character. You are Shepard, etc., etc. And then for Mass Effect Two, they essentially f- uh, f- framed the first fifteen minutes in a way where, essentially, this character's slate has been wiped clean, and you're free again to impose or, or to uh, project whatever you want on that character. And it's actually really good as as you become more of a, uh, you know, a renegade or more of a badass. Like you start to see uh, because he's been recreated, sort of. Uh, not organically, but the other word synthetically. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I, see, I see exactly what you mean, Ross, and it allows them to tell a much tighter story because you are Commander Shepard, and your choices generally diverge into yeah. sort of like good or evil or somewhere in between. Yeah. So it what, means but, that every conversation still... can be that a little bit more planned and that little bit more nuanced and that little bit better written. Yeah, while still allowing you to import to project your personality onto it. Exactly. Whereas, and back to getting back to Fallout. I don't think Fallout achieves the same the same thing, and I don't, and I think it's largely because they don't commit to it, which is fine because it's not that sort. It's not the same sort of game. But it's very like, great. Why take why take that half a step? Why have yeah. you have this annoying voice? And this is what annoys me the most is that in Fallout Three, it was really satisfying to so you would have a conversation and it would get give you several options, 
and then you would read that sentence once and then the character you're talking to would respond to the yes. selection you've picked which meant that I'm not having to read you're I essentially have hearing on. it I have twice subtitles on as well all the time so mm-hmm. I'm reading it twice and hearing it yeah. but I'm not reading it twice and hearing it because I'll select an option which is like it'll say you know someone will say something to me and I'll be like that sounds like a good idea and my character will respond with four sentences in which he calls them a bitch and I'm like um, that's not quite what I selected <laughs> Fallout 4 yes. actually yes. Um, I just wanted to you know say thanks buddy and what <laughs> and then your character ends up saying thanks buddy but go fuck yourself whoa 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 if I had exactly. known the full and... extent of the dialogue option I might have chose something different I completely yeah I get what you're saying so like in Fallout 4 they might say you know they sort of uh, they condense the the dialogue option into maybe like a short sentence but by condensing it you lose the full impact of that sentence and once you hear it like you've just said Dave you're not necessarily happy then with your choice they, whereas in they games tried like... to simplify it into like a it's not quite this but like oh you're going to give an intelligent response or you're going to give an angry response or you're going to give a calm mm-hmm. response and and they try and give you sort of like an emotional cue without actually telling you what the character is going to say because obviously they want you to listen to the voices as, yeah. as opposed to reading a sentence but i think it's a swing and a miss sort of thing it could have worked it's, it's, it's a mistake they'd done it more competently but they didn't and therefore it kind of bothered me throughout the entire game yeah i mean for me what i would end up doing because obviously you can skip each bit of dialogue so once i'd select it i find myself automatically skipping what my when my character was speaking do you know what i found really well actually ross if you wear a gas mask you can't see your character's stupid face (laughs) well uh see what i did was uh i went yeah i went beret aviator sunglasses and like a like a bandana sort of thing (laughs) go for you know go go a little mad max on it so I think yeah, what, that was one of the points I was actually going to list, Dave, which is that, yeah, the protagonist. And that, and, and, Sorry, I just wanted and... to get it over with because it's like a big bugbear I have in a lot of games. Uh, mm-hmm. The other series, we talked about Bioware, the other series it really bothers me in is um, Dragon Age, which I know is a series that we all make fun of me for playing, but uh, I am certain <laughs> there are other people out there who have some fondness for it. EA, give us free stuff. <laughs> give us free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a recurring thing, I think. It certainly um, is. So yeah, so uh, yeah. So what's uh, what's your next point then, Ross? Well, that, yeah, I was just gonna say that sort of ties in with the protagonist. You know, the, the uh, yeah, I wasn't keen on him because of the voice, but we've sort of touched on that very uh, sort of in quite a lot of detail there. So the the other thing then I mentioned was uh, I want to tick this off before we go on to the other points, but the base building in which you know the game is trying to make me care about things, uh, i.e people and these aren't even named are we NPCs. about to talk about preston garvey because i feel that as a conversation to be had that here. piece of shit <laughs> honestly so listeners in in the game you know as you uh, progress you'll meet an NPC called preston garvey and as you help him set up his base he uh, invites you to join the minutemen which is a, a sort of militia say that is... no <laughs> say so, <yeah>. no to <laughs> being a minute <laughs> yeah, man yeah. if preston garvey approaches you just say no so what Preston Garvey <laughs> then does is once you help him establish, he'll then notify you when there are bases in the city or in, in, the, in the state that need help and may be willing to join the Minutemen. And it's up to you to go and help them, do whatever it is they need to join, and then they can join you. Sounds fun, right? It isn't. It would it's have been the... fun, Ross, if they had coded one, even one variant of that one mission. Yeah. 
But they Bodice. didn't. And every mission is go to this new location and do the same thing that you did the last six times. And the reward for that is that you will constantly get something popping up in the bottom of your screen saying such and such is under attack. Go and help them. Because that's now they're part reward. of your network. That's your reward. More work. And that's what it was. Just work. So it got to the point where it's like, oh, this place is under attack. Yeah. Well. And the only place that I cared was under attack then was actually my home. Yeah. Because I was like, because whenever I'd see them, like, oh, red rocket stuff is under attack. Oh my god, my power suits! I've my got dog, to get no, back. No, no, <laughs> yeah. I've got to get back and protect my power suits. That was yeah, the only time. Um, so, I will yeah. say it's a bit of a sweetener here that the there's a Minutemen quest line which doesn't directly involve doing loads and loads of these, going rescuing a settlement, establishing a base there. Stuff mm-hmm. is quite good. I think as it's like a storyline, aside from all of the busy work and the sort of like fetch quests and nonsense i think that mm-hmm. the actual quest line of like it culminates in this massive battle and this fort against loads of uh, i think it's like um my the lurks and stuff and and, that, and i think that culminates very nicely and it's quite satisfying with as the maya mission, queen yeah that as, is awesome as a mission tree but yeah. like it's kind of all soured by this all this like the, it's, oh, it, and it's, like, it's oh, never ending settlement. it just carries on and on and on that's the thing and, and i don't and I'm not, we're not exaggerating here i mean it never ends i thought i tried to sort of well if i get all the bases then he can't tell me there's another bit settlement that needs my help somehow there is somehow there's always another settlement and it's obviously like they've put it in so that it's a never-ending game loop but i, I would have preferred if even if you know they did 10 of these go and save the settlements but they'd spend time writing the, the missions so that yeah. each one's a bit different and so that you rescue different people specifically written NPCs also with personalities and maybe you unlock a different sort of buff every time you do a different one for a specific unique one for each settlement so say you unlock a settlement like near the sea you might unlock a buff where um, you don't need as much water or you don't need as much food for one of your other settlements because that's going to produce more because they can all help something. each other yeah exactly. i mean you can but set up trade routes it's, it's quite yeah. yeah but it's quite blank and like i said it's fairly endless yeah and, and that's kind of the biggest thing for me if there was kind of like a by having those if it was specific and and scripted rather than the procedural way that they de- they developed yeah. it i think it would be much more satisfying because this is a narrative game and i don't want to be doing busy work yeah, you know it's not World of Warcraft. I'm not fucking leveling up so I can beat up some kid in China. <laughs> yeah. Like I, do you know what I mean? Whoever um, he is, I've never he played. Is one I've badass. never played. I never played World of Warcraft, so all of my knowledge from South Park. But um, you know, like it's not that sort of game. It's a single player game where I want to have some sort of like it needs to be finite. Yes, and uh, and also on top of all of that, when we bring the narrative into it, you know, he he's he's the sort of the general of the of the Minutemen. Every time he sends me, I'm like, "What the fuck are you guys doing? I'm I'm traveling all over the place, and it's me doing this. You get off your arse. You get out there. Oh, there's another settlement that needs your help. You fucking go, Preston. <laughs> what are you doing, Preston? Every time I come yeah. around, you sit around drinking. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, Preston can get fucked. I'm not a fan of him. Yeah. Um, um, I have a point. It's the next point that's something for that it. I dislike, which is actually tied to something that we talked about liking. So. This game is a classic example of a game that, um, what's the word? They really bury the lead immediately. So the very first quest of this is probably one of the most exciting in the game. And so we talked about the power suits and how they're basically like mech suits that you you get into and drive. And in a game, kind of like, again, this is from a game structure thing. and, And in case you haven't noticed, it was 46 minutes into this podcast. 
we're real nerds. We've played a lot of video games. We kind of know what we're talking about. You literally cool. work in the industry. I don't, um, but I know more. I know loads of stuff because I'm clever. Um, <laughs> so in this game, you go on a mission. It's maybe in the first hour of playing this game, you you get one of these mech suits and a minigun, and you get to kill a Deathclaw, which is the biggest, baddest enemy in the whole game series. Yeah, this was you know, something I was going Fallout to touch 3, on as well. If you see a Deathclaw, you're dead. Unless yeah. you've been playing it for 75 hours. Yeah, yeah. much less if you've been playing for 30 goddamn minutes. And in 30 minutes into this game, you get one of these mech suits and a minigun, and you're killing this Deathclaw. And it's like, it's great, but that really needs to be third act. That really needs, they really kind of need to hint at it like, oh, there's a mech suit here, but we don't have anything to power it, or it's broken, or we need something for it that they give you later. And it kind of like promise you, or maybe you get into it and it doesn't work, and you're like, shit, what else, we, what else can we do? And it doesn't. It just gives you everything and lets you go. And like, on the one hand, this probably made this game really, really fantastic for reviews because a lot of the gameplay that people would play yeah. before they reviewed this game and a lot of the gameplay they demoed would just be this first forty minutes of the game. You're which, exactly right. And and to then not go anywhere from there, to then not like, there's no escalation of that because you've kind of already dumped out the most exciting and most innovative part of the game in the first half an hour. And it kind of yeah. doesn't improve from that. And it's a bit like, it's lazy. It's really, really lazy. And it has no respect for you as a gamer who's going to put 40, 50 hours into this game because there's no culmination because yeah. you've already given it to you in the first half an hour. Yeah, the payoff is way too early. And it's 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 sort of to... And this was one of the wider points I have as well, which we'll touch on in a second, which was to sort of make it more accessible to the general player base. Fuck them! Uh, fuck the general players! <laughs> yeah, fuck those guys! But and this is the thing, like as you know, uh, you know, people who've played the Fallout series before, people who've played, you know, most most Bethesda games, which are the Elder Scrolls and Fallout, you'll know. So listeners, for you that that don't know, like uh, a Death Claw, if you can imagine a dragon with no wings except sharper teeth and longer claws. And, and, a lot, and pissed off, and it's fast. That's a death claw. And like Dave rightfully pointed out in Fallout 3 or in New Vegas, if you see a death claw, if it hasn't spotted you, then you walk slowly backwards. Exactly. It's no a game mechanic it. that's kind of like um, in, I don't know if, if you've played Alien Isolation, Ross. Uh, in no. Alien Isolation, um, if the alien sees you, it kills you. That's it. You can't fight it, it kills you. <laughs> and death claws are kind of like that's Fallout's way of doing that in, in yeah. the earlier games. You can it's fight like, them. If you, see it, if you see a Deathclaw, you can try and fight it, and if you can abuse the graphics and get on top of a hill that it can't climb, you can just yeah. shoot it for four hours if you've got enough ammo. But, like, otherwise, if you're not abusing the you know, poor engine, then you can't kill this thing. It will kill you. And in Fallout New Vegas especially, they kind of use that to... To get... Uh, uh, to gate to off areas, yeah. rather, than, rather than just having a wall that says you can't come in here. They would just put a couple of death claws in the path, and then you can't get past like the death a nest because they'll yeah. kill you. And so it was a really like clever, and that's kind of like what death claws are. So to have you kill a fucking death claw in the first forty minutes of Fallout Four, yes, it's, it's a really cheap. cool mission. It's quite well designed. It's quite well written. It is very very satisfying. But after you've done it, everything else kind of like pales in comparison. And to dump that out in the first bloody segment of your game is insane. It's it's very cheap. I mean, like I remember when I first played it, uh, and I played this segment, I was expecting to die and not to be part of the narrative. Like you know, like I'm knocked unconscious and then someone saves me somehow. I I, I wasn't expecting that I'd be able to uh, kill this thing, 
and yeah, uh, like like you said, Dave, it's it's yeah, it will have done well for reviews. And again, I get it; it's to make it more accessible to the general player base and to sort of wow them in the first forty-five minutes, you know, to make sure they keep playing. But for people who have played before, it, it yeah, it's a real cheap feeling, especially when you've played the previous games and you know how sort of a serious a threat these things are. Because they kind of rob it of all that, and then throughout the game and the DLC is quite guilty of this as well, which we'll get into. We'll do the DLC last, I think, because we've not really touched on it yet. Um, okay. is that like you get like special enemies so you get like a super death glow mm-hmm. I mean it's not called a super death glow but it may as fucking well be and and basically that's just a death claw's death claw and like it's just a really lazy way of doing it like if they're not all scary then why is this one scary do you know what I mean exactly it's scary exactly. because you've you've turned it into a tank and added a shit ton of health that it doesn't you shouldn't have to mm-hmm. make it difficult to kill and that's kind of like the you know that's just really bad game design in my opinion and again, yeah, it's, like, it's putting I think the cart before the horse. Exactly, and I think that's just really like this. this that's why this game kind of it's only good because there's so much in it like that um, that's lazy mm-hmm. and that's ill thought out. And I think that's maybe like a I I really feel like and I don't know I really feel like there's a lot of stuff in this game that is uh, is an executive who knows nothing about game design saying we want this and developers saying oh but actually we should do no we're doing this. And it's kind of really feels like, you know, this is a studio game rather than a game that's actually been developed. It'll be a game that's uh, that that'll have been put in front of uh, what do you call like a not a sample audience but like a test group, like a test group. Thank you. Yeah, it, it'll have again. It'll have, and I'm I'm fairly confident it'll have gone through numerous rounds of group testing. You know, and like a thing will come back, and there'll be people who don't know the game because they you know they, they don't get proper consumers and it'll people don't know the game like oh we want to see you know the, the power suits because they'll tell them a bit about the game like oh we want that earlier we want to do that and then they'll write that down and they water it down and then it like parts of it will become a game by numbers like the base building yeah yeah it's absolutely that, that, awesome. i couldn't agree more yeah that that's that's i think that like uh, we just sort of hit the crux there of it's made fallout force main problem is that it's a game by numbers and like you do find some quality gems in there, um, and sometimes it's overlooked by the, the stuff that stares you in the face. Um, one of the other things that sort of ties in as well with the Death Claw, uh, well, not specifically Death Claw, but uh, following on from that is the combat. Uh, so the combat is fine, but there's no discernible improvement on, on the combat mechanics now, because obviously the guns and all have been sort of uh, expanded upon and you know the amount of weapons you can have has increased but the combat itself as a core mechanic has not been touched in my opinion since Fallout 3 so in uh, for the for the uh, listeners who aren't aware seriously why haven't you bought Fallout yet for the listeners who aren't aware yeah yeah um, Bethesda pay me uh, (laughs) Bethesda give me free stuff Uh, Fallout has a combat uh, system called VATS which essentially allows you to sort of freeze time and target specific areas of your enemy's body so you can get off a couple of precision shots before it returns to real time. At the time of Fallout 3, this was really cool, innovative, and it was a great way for you to sort of uh, salvage some well, ammo. To give to just link it back into sort of like Fallout history, in the first two games, um, all combat is through VATS, and that's kind of like how they explain away the turn-based nature of the combat, which... Mm-hmm. Is that it's turn-based because of the platform and because they're early, sort of like quite early video games. They they can't 
you know, graphically you can't have yeah, you can't do it in real time combat. Yeah. So that's why Vats exists. And then in Fallout Three, they carry that over, and like you said, they turn it into this special ability. And again, it's kind of covering up the cracks in our engine can only do so much. Yeah. So it makes the combat a lot better because it kind of slows it down and it limits it and. And it makes up for the poor visuals because if you try aiming down like iron sights in the game, like it's it's hard to you make better out. Hope for some luck. Yeah. Plus, yeah. Plus, with the amount of times you get frame rate drops, yeah. So Vats was really the way to go to sort of like uh, progress through the game effectively. Uh, and they've done that for New Vegas, similar sort of thing. Uh, but because it's it was a similar generation game and it was built, uh, the game was sort of being built just after Fallout Three came out. You could forgive that. Well, Fallout 4 is a next-generation game. The VAT system stayed the same. There was no discernible uh, improvement or update to it. And I just thought, uh, yeah, lazy. Missed opportunity there to up- upgrade something cool or implement something brand new itself. And that opportunity wasn't taken. It's basically it's put the impetus on Bethesda to develop a new engine because they've proven quite conclusively that i mean we we we're at the end of the generation now for ps4 and xbox one yeah and and you know showing what you got bethesda or i'm not buying another one of your games if if the next bethesda game it's probably going to be another scrolls game comes out on the same engine then why why, why am i buying it why am i spending probably 70 pounds on it you know exactly Exactly. And that's becoming an increasing question as we get older as well. Like, you know, I've got other things to spend my money on. <laughs> yeah. You know? as I, I want to spend my money on you, but you you got to help me out, Bethesda. I need You've to talk to my wife out. and convince yeah. her Ross why I need this. To justify this to his wife. Exactly. I just said the same thing. Yeah, exactly. I need to go to the boss and say, I need pocket money, please. <laughs> Way to really emasculate yourself on this podcast. Hey, I'm under no illusions. You know what I mean? Uh, good, good. And I'm it's sure all of our listener agrees with me knows, knows what's going on yeah well uh, being single is great because that conversation is very one-sided be, being single is great I can't wait to die alone <laughs> wow thanks Ross I, I had to go for the jugular Dave oh, okay. I had I had to nip that you you were getting a little, you were getting a little rowdy I had to nip that I the think I'm, going, I'm thinking I'm going to do an old spinster suicide tonight a bottle of wine <laughs> and, a, and a razor blade in the bath um Moving Where on. are we? <laughs> yeah, so um, <laughs> we need to edit that out. Things we didn't like. Uh, so... Well, I've got one last thing, and I think cool. you're you do one last me. thing, and then I've got some sort of like I want to talk a bit, a little bit about the DLC because it sort of like yeah. relates into what we've talked about. No problem. Yeah. So the last thing is, uh, and this sort of is a comparison again to the previous games, where um, the game really wants you to be a good person. <sighs> And and what I, and what I mean by that is there are choices you're given where you can be you know you can do the nice thing or you can be a, an asshole and the game really rewards you for being the good thing and if it you do get a reward for being an asshole it's it's not it's meager it punishes or you're act, or, it, you or or, or you're rewarded, actively punished you are rewarded much more heavily for being you know yeah. the white knight um, and I whereas if great, you com- I have a great example relating to Fallout Three Ross if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, you take it. Uh, in Fallout 3, um, which I think is a wonderfully like moralistic game in a lot of ways in terms of what Fallout 3 does perfectly is it lets you do evil things, but it makes you feel really fucking bad about it. it, it, it the best example of this in Fallout 3 is you can slave, you can slave children and trade in child <laughs> slaves. Yeah. And, and the game gives you plenty of options to be the good guy 
but you can meet a child and be like, oh, do you want to come with me? Great, put this shot collar on, follow me, and you can sell them to slavers. And the game lets you do it. The game monetarily rewards you for it quite heavily. You do and get then, quite a bit of coin. <laughs> and then and then you sit and you think about, what have I done? And that, that is a real like achievement mm. for a game, I think, is if a game makes you introspective. And I know it's a game and it's silly and it's whatever. And like obviously you wouldn't slay children. Sure, this is a podcast and I can't say anything else. But yeah. obviously uh, the imaginary you podcast does not condone the, uh, the endorsement <laughs> of uh, child slavery, nor has it ever. <laughs> Dave's opinions may be otherwise, but they do not reflect that of the imaginary <laughs> podcast. But it's kind of like it's this wonderful sort of moment, and I know that I know for certain that Sam Matt experienced the same thing of like, yeah. you do it because it's funny and because it's like, oh, this is funny. Oh, I wonder if I can do this, and then you've done it, mm-hmm. and you're like, fuck. And well, it's kind I, of like this wonderful moment, and I'd... Fallout Four doesn't do that because it's so intent on making you the hero. Yes, and yeah, it's making you the good boy. And again, I think that's down to I'd say that's down to focus groups. But the, 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 the two things I want to touch on that, Dave, because I was actually going to uh, raise a similar point, you know, and comparing to Fallout 3, but just when you said about the child slavers, because I've done the same thing myself. And like you say, when you, you get the message that horrible, you do, you're like, oh, man. And, you, and you're not you're not hard up for money because by that stage, <laughs> you've got plenty. You know, you've got gold plated fucking Chinese assault rifle. But um, but I remember saying, and I did, I felt bad. And I was like, oh, I'm going to break these guys out. So I remember, you know, I waited till night, picked the lock, sneaked in, opened the gate, and they just stay there. And they're like, come on, you're free. And like, no. And they're already, like, they're, they're, their spirits are already broken. You're like, oh, man. But it's kind of like, again, <laughs> oh, it's man. kind of well, plays into better go why kill everyone. <laughs> it kind of plays into why Fallout 3 was this wonderful satire. Because, like, it does that very, it knows what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And it's making a point. And and you know I don't think that games need to be political, but in Fallout Three it's funny and it's effective and like it makes you yeah. feel stuff not in a really deep and you know finding yourself sort of way, but in just a you know much much in the same way if you were watching a film. No, it, it doesn't you make you affected. like. Down, yeah, it doesn't make you, you down half a bottle by, of whiskey. Well, day day to day life makes me down half a bottle of whiskey, Ross. But um, <laughs> you know, it, I play it, video games to escape that. Exactly, but that, you know, the narrative has an effect on you, just like it would in any other form of media, be that you know, a yeah. play, a book, a, a film, whatever. You know, and I think that's something that Fallout Four doesn't manage, like we said, because mm. it is too much on the side of like there is a slavery aspect in fallout 4 like the synths there's sort of like exactly. their rights are a bit here and there and there's an underground railroad but there isn't really an option to like screw the railroad over there isn't an option to be like well actually no synths aren't people fucking you know it's and i'm not saying i'm not advocating against synth lives we on the imaginary movie podcast are very very for um artificial life we're a pro artificial life podcast but you know I kind of need the option in this game. I need in an RPG. Yeah. I need to be able to play a role. And if you don't give me the options to play a role, then how? What are we even doing? It's a separate point completely. But that's. I mean, it. it it's good. It. it I'm, I'm undecided on the synth thing because yeah, whilst it's a really good point, like you know, synths are being sort of like hoarded underground to sort of save them, but also it's it's a bit of a cheap sort of tactic to get away f- from the difficult aspect of portraying actual slavery and when i say actual slavery i'm only saying actual slavery because synthetic people do not yet exist and once they do i will also consider synth slavery actual slavery too um it's good you covered yourself ross because we don't want skynet coming down on us on this one well we here at the imaginary movie podcast we care so say we're a pro skynet Skynet podcast (laughs) 
Yeah, um, but but that's what I mean. So like, I think in one way it's it's clever that they did it. In another way, it's sort of like a cheap ploy of maybe showing it and getting pats on the back for showing it through the synths without actually having to go into the difficult aspect of you know showing. I think you know, the... Ross that I kind of agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, it's a video game and it's you know not for kids especially, but like it's for teenagers and stuff. And and by having that metaphor, you kind of like it's not really really horrible, and you're not going to get parents up in arms about the graphic nature of it. Yeah, but that I'm gonna I'm gonna get on my soapbox now, but but that's the problem. If you're doing it so that parents won't get up on their soapbox about it, especially when you've shown it in previous games, like you know we've we've seen it in New Vegas where people were literally crucified. But as games come more to the forefront of you know popular media, they're you know and corporations, and I get the reason why, but they're very reluctant now to show anything that's. Well, because they and exist I, I, to sell games, Ross. And... I I know, but that's the uh, so. But yes, and I understand it. However, it's still a negative trait, and it's still a chicken shit move. On my uh, Fair uh, in my opinion. Fair enough. Uh, um, but the other thing I was going to say, <laughs> taking it back to uh, the game, sort of encourage Fallout Four, encouraging you to be a good person, is that comparing it to Fallout Three, where you know this, you would have the, <clears throat> you would have the karma system. So the karma system Fallout Three is you do good stuff. You get good karma, and people, certain people and factions would react more positively to you. You do bad shit, you get bad karma. Now, you would get those people who act favorably toward you now acting negatively towards you, but then there are factions who will act positively towards you because you've got the reputation of being a bit of a badass, a cutthroat. And so I think it was a good way to... <laughs> a mass murderer. Yeah, mass murderer, exactly. And I think that was a great way to cast that balance when, yeah, you're a bad person, but these guys like you, so these you are know. bad people like you. Yeah. Whereas in Fallout Four, it's kind of like shades. It's of gray. very black and white and good and bad in, in yeah. terms like that. Yeah, totally. Um, so wrapping up, Ross, in a mm-hmm. certain way, because we'll, we'll talk about the DLC in a second. But wrapping up, like, is there anything else that we haven't gotten to? No, I've covered uh, mo- most of everything I was going to uh, cool. discuss. Uh, yeah. Cool. So um, and to 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 repeat and reiterate after that forty minutes, I like this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's because we like it, and because we care that we we mention these things because it could have been great. It could have been a great game. Yeah, and also we can't undermine the very concept of doing a podcast because. Oof. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, the DLC for this, um, off the top of my head, it does change, adjust, add to several of of and you know it changes several of the points that are made in the, in the base game. So. Uh, number one, I think, is it really, really ramps up the base building. I yeah. Don't know if you've played all the DLC, I've played some of it. It 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 expands the base building. I mean, it's which... still Bethesda, which means it's impossible and buggy and really difficult to get right. But yeah, they really, really put a lot of work into like you can build your own underground vault, and I think that's really, really cool. And and it's kind of like another step in the right direction that. You know, putting up shanty towns is one thing, but like this lets you build your own vault, and that's one of the most iconic things about Fallout. And I think that that's that's a really fun DLC um, that I wasn't mm-hmm. really expecting. I was expecting more DLC in sort of the vein of Fallout Three, and not even like uh, New Vegas, which I think had excellent DLC. Like Fallout Three, which was so so. <laughs> well, I think Fallout 3's DLC was actually decent, and there was one element of Fallout 4's DLC that reminded me of 3's, and it was a self-sort-of-contained adventure. But there's the one another on one the as well. Island. The one on the island. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But there was one that was a good one that really entertained me, uh, and it was called Nuka World, where it was yes, essentially. Yes, I've played ooh, half of that maybe. Yeah, 
and essentially where it was a raider camp raiders are basically the the minions that you slaughter throughout uh, the, the you state. kill thousands of that kind yeah uh, and you don't even think and everybody hates raiders so even the bad guys hate raiders so no one cares about raiders talking about but, mad max again like they are they are the mad max yes they are yeah the, you could, the bikers from mad max that's raiders basically yeah and essentially you go to their uh, they, they've taken over a nuka world bottling sort of a nuka world theme park and you get to interact they've taken with over disneyland i mean not disneyland yeah don't sue us disney <laughs> disney give me free stuff <laughs> <laughs> um, there we go but yeah the dlc i thought was apart from the base building stuff because didn't care about it but most of the dlc i thought were, were strong self-contained sort of narratives if a bit short yeah no i, I largely agree um i think i ended up getting the game of the year edition after i played it on game pass because it was very cheap um nice. and i probably and I, I played this game when it first came out and probably put 40 or 50 hours into it and mm-hmm. then when i played it this this last year um i probably put another 60 or 70 hours into it so like again this is a good game that is worth your time oh absolutely yeah but, I'd, I'd definitely recommend but getting it it's it's not the best game in the series and and i think it falls short of the goalposts in a lot of ways and i think like we said a lot of that is rooted in i think poor poor um company poor studio decisions and I, th- I think honestly, it's marketing decisions yeah and honestly like graphically they the, needed to be a new engine and they needed to build a new engine to run these games mm. because mm-hmm. it is 2020 right now and you know and we, we're not even touched on fallout 76 which has been another i mean we we could do an episode on that but like you heard me get on my soapbox about some elements like yeah. i will I will rage but against the corporate machine on that, on that game. Of Bethesda not understanding that we are, you know, that times have moved forward and that their games need to move forward with those times. Well, and that uh, in Dave, 2005, you could release a game that was really, really buggy and really Dave, difficult to play, like Oblivion or like whatever. But in 20, you know, 2019, whenever Fallout 76 came out, you cannot release a game that doesn't work. Div, they do understand. They don't care. If they get your money, they 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 released a full priced, a premium priced game, sixty pounds. They released that game, and then less than a year later, there was a, I can't remember if it was a subscription subscription model or basically an additional sort of fee of a hundred pounds for like a Fallout seventy six one or something like that. I can't remember what the package is called, but essentially they they launched a buggy premium price game that said oh we're going to add we're going to add and they committed to adding man you got me starting out they committed to adding stuff (laughs) throughout the year oh we're going to add this we're going to add get this npcs oh you're going to add the thing that makes fallout fallout to a fallout game oh thank you very much and then oh by the way if you want to experience that 100 pounds please oh no i already paid for the game no 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 it's 100 pounds now oh okay cool so on yeah but anyway, Fallout let's, 4. Let's not go massive into that, Ross, because uh, I think it's free on Game Pass. You pushed so me into that. I, want I will to know probably that, play that's it. That's on Dave, listener. I will probably play it, and we will almost certainly do another pod, another another video game episode because this has been really fun. Um, yeah, if, and if, really if, cathartic. Um, yeah. And like, final thoughts are, <laughs> I've probably put 120 hours into Fallout 4, so it's totally worth playing. Um, and if you haven't played any of the other Fallout games... What the fuck are you doing? Go and play them. Seriously, we are seventy minutes into this podcast, and you've yet to play Fallout. Exactly. Have you got anything, anything world changing, Ross, to add to that? 
it was literally sort of ju- just to sort of echo what you said a fantastic game i would actually recommend uh playing fallout 3 first and then sort of you can experience the fallout world and then you'll be able to truly sort of appreciate the uh, minute but uh, sometimes consequential uh updates and upgrades they made to fallout 4 but yeah. if you haven't got a previous generation console don't worry about that but yeah it's, it's a definite recommendation from me well i mean to be clear my advice is to play the original fallout one from 1997 or whenever and then play them all so uh, yeah even, dig that out even down to getting the fallout tactics uh which was the non-canon spin-off game that they made for the ps2 you're thinking of fallout brotherhood i am fallout yeah. tactics is a different game <laughs> which I've you're also it. recommending I, it. I found it in a box the other day i should know shouldn't i wow uh, but not uh, so i think uh it, yeah it's a great game to experience um yeah so it's yeah. two thumbs up so, from dave and me it's two thumbs up from us uh but you know ultimately you can do better <laughs> mm-hmm. uh so we'll see you next week for a film episode and hopefully sam will be back as well um uh, as always or perhaps sometimes uh if you liked this episode after you know an hour and 13 minutes um <laughs> give us a tweet at um, imaginary pod on twitter and just let us know uh, if you'd like to us to do more video game episodes or you know again if you exist <laughs> yeah it would be really nice to know if we actually have a listener um, yeah but, um... our <laughs> metrics seem to imply there's an australian listener if you are in australia listening to this please get on twitter and tweet at us because i would love to know if you exist or if the nsa is following i would just again. love to hear from you full stop you know what what does your world look like Lockdown is really, really lonely. Do your toilets yeah. really flush <laughs> the other way? Really is that an actual you, thing? <laughs> anyway, this is going... Oh, speaking of toilets, this is going down a toilet. So we will see you next week. Good night, Ross. Yeah, good night, dear. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>